Good morning again. Uh, as I said before, uh, I'm Doug Moss. I'm the new associate pastor here at St. John. Uh, and if you're the kind of person who uh, reads weekend communication pieces and actually goes through those with a fine-tooth comb, you might have noticed last week that I was not actually scheduled uh, to be here this morning. Pastor Dion uh, was, but he found out Tuesday morning that his wife's grandmother uh, had died. And, uh, and so he actually had to go out to Indiana with his family, uh, and the funeral was yesterday. But uh, it was a blessing that they were able to go out uh, to be there with Joss's family, uh, for him to be able to preside over the funeral, uh, and to be there for support and celebration uh, with, uh, with their family. Uh, and so if you don't mind, I'd like to start this morning uh, by just praying for Joss's family and for the Garrets as they travel back home here today. So would you please pray with me? Uh, Lord, we just thank you for the testimony uh, and witness of life that was Jocelyn's grandmother. Uh, we thank you that um, Dion and the rest of the family were able to get out there, uh, to be with uh, everyone, to grieve with them, but also to celebrate uh, the life of a woman who is so important uh, and meaningful in their lives. Uh, and Lord, we just thank you that uh, we do not have to grieve like those with no hope, but uh, that we can take confidence in your promise and assurance that we are reunited with those who love you uh, for all time uh, in the home that you have prepared for us. And so Lord, we ask that you would be with the Garrets as they travel back, uh, keep them safe on the road, uh, bless them and all their family as they move through this season uh, and miss the loss uh, of their uh, grandma. Uh, Lord, we pray all this trusting in your holy and powerful name. Amen. So the topic this morning is uh, real help, and it's one that I'm, I'm really excited to get to dive into with you uh, this morning. And I wanted to start there by kind of comparing and contrasting a couple of things. So I want to start uh, by talking about Forbes. See, Forbes for the last few years uh, has put together a list every year of the most powerful people in the world. Uh, and they did that again last December uh, as their norm. And, and so this is the list, uh, the top 10 at least, of the most powerful people in 2016 according to Forbes. Now, as you look at the list, there probably aren't going to be too many surprises on there. You've got five uh, leaders of, of national governments, you know, some of the largest countries in the world. You've got three heads of uh, multinational billion, multi-billion dollar companies, all of them tech companies, interestingly enough. Uh, you've got a religious leader, uh, and then you've got uh, Janet Yellen, the uh, head of the Federal Reserve Bank. Uh, one of the largest financial institutions in the world. Uh, so it's you know, probably not too much to quibble with on this list, but I want you to just think for a moment about the people on this list. Uh, and just in your head, we're not going to do this out loud, but in your head, just think of the adjectives that kind of define them and, and their rise to power, you know, like what, what they did or what they're known for. Uh, what was it about them that made them one of the 10 most powerful people in the world? Now, we're not going to share what you were thinking this morning, uh, and depending on your opinions of some of these leaders, it might not be PG to share what we were thinking this morning, but I would hazard a guess that probably none of your thoughts included the words compassionate. You see, it's interesting, when you, when you look at powerful people, uh, compassion is not something uh, that is associated with power. In fact, not only that, it's probably considered by and large a hindrance. To power. You can't be powerful by being compassionate. You have to be ruthless. Uh, you have to be someone who, uh, who's always looking to expand, you know, whether that's geopolitically or whether that's just in your market share for your company. Uh, you, you know, compassion would be something that would actually get in the way of the shrewd decisions that you would need to make uh, to become a powerful person on the global stage. 
Now, there is one exception on that list, maybe one and a half exceptions, and we'll, we'll talk about them in just a moment. Uh, but by and large, I think there's a truth that being powerful generally comes with the caveat that you can't have been compassionate either, or you wouldn't have been powerful in the first place. And not only that, I reflect on my own experience with compassion. So, to, again, we're going to compare and contrast here this morning. Uh, and so, uh, I want to now show you the list of the top 10 most compassionate people in the world. Oh, they don't have one. No one makes that list. Yeah, it turns out that's not something that people are interested in talking about. They're, they're very interested in ranking the top 10 best athletes or the most powerful celebrities or the most powerful world leaders. People are all about the 10 best things when it comes to power, success, influence. Those things get ranked. Compassion, not so much. And I think that reveals a deeper truth as well, uh, that people are not interested in you unless you have power. I even saw that. I was on a mission trip uh, in Juarez, Mexico. If you don't know Juarez, it's, it's kind of a border town right across the river from El Paso, Texas. And if you want to see the poorest, most destitute, and needy people in all of North America, Juarez is where you go. Uh, that's of people that have very little uh, to their name, and there's not a lot uh, that they have. And I was down there with, with a mission organization, partnering with a church, and uh, we were building houses in low-income neighborhoods is what we were doing. And there were two rules uh, while we were down in Juarez building houses. And rule one was do not drink the water. That's a good rule. Rule two was don't give anything to any children. You see, we were there to build houses, and there were lots of kids that were coming around us and clamoring and interested in us, and, and we were allowed to play with them and talk with them and pray with them, but the rule was firm. You cannot give them anything. And that sounded heartless for a mission organization that's there to supposedly help the need, that's supposed to be the most compassionate people, but as they explained throughout the week, they had limited resources. They had a scope and they had funding to build houses. But if any of us volunteers that were down there started giving out things, word would spread. And, and soon we wouldn't have a dozen kids coming around and playing. We'd have a couple dozen and then maybe even into the hundreds. If word got out that the, the gringos of the week were giving away things, uh, they would be swamped and flooded. We wouldn't be able to continue the work that we were supposed to do. And in fact, we would just set them up for disappointment because we would be teasing them with something that wasn't sustainable with help and benefits that they weren't going to have access to the next week when the next group was in town. And it clicked for me as I reflected on that experience that even the most compassionate people are limited and constrained by whatever power and influence they have in the world. But unfortunately, that tends not to be much because the most compassionate people are the ones that spend their time being compassionate and not accruing wealth, influence, power. And there's this cruel irony in our world that the people who are the most powerful tend to have the least compassion. And the people who have the most compassion tend to have the least ability to follow up and do anything about it. But there was one person who broke that mold. One person who actually found a way to have both power and compassion at once. And that was Jesus. And so we're going to look at a story from 2,000 years ago 
a story of a way that he interacted with a group of people. So if you're here with us, uh, that's going to be on page 972 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, If you're following along online or if you have your own Bible or your phone with you, it's Matthew chapter 8. This is one of the Gospels that described Jesus' time on earth. And so in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is going through the countryside and his reputation has preceded him. People are starting to hear a little bit of what he's about. And so let's see what happens in this moment. So when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now leave that up for a moment uh, and talk about a couple things. One, leprosy, if you aren't familiar with it, is kind of a catch-all term for a variety of skin diseases that were prevalent in that time and in that place. Uh, Again, it's a pretty normal thing when you live in a place that doesn't have antibiotics, that doesn't necessarily have access uh, to clean running water, uh, you would have these skin ailments, uh, and they kind of called all of them together leprosy. But the issue with leprosy was it was incredibly uh, ugly, gross, despicable. And so unlike other diseases or other infirmities, you break a leg or something, if you had leprosy, you were now untouchable. You would be banished from the outskirts of civilized society. You wouldn't even be allowed to enter the town. You couldn't talk to people. You couldn't touch people. If you had leprosy, you were alienated. You had no hope. No one could give you anything. Kind of similar to those kids from Juarez that we weren't even allowed to do what, we, what our hearts told us we should be doing for them. And so in that moment, a leper comes to Jesus and, and just notice this person is violating all the social norms. He's approaching a group of people. He's not supposed to do that. He's calling out to them. He's not supposed to do that, and certainly not with someone like Jesus. But now I want you to notice what the leper says. What he, he doesn't question at any point Jesus' power. You see, Jesus had already proven his supernatural ability. He had done miracles. He had shown amazing wonders. And nowhere in here does this leper say, if you can heal me. He doesn't say, I hope you have the power over this disease. See, that part is the given. The power is not questioned. Here's what's questioned. Lord, if you are willing. It was Jesus' compassion that he wasn't sure about. And again, if he'd learned any lessons from the world, as we all have, power and compassion don't go together. And so what he's asking here is, you have the power, do you have the mercy? Do you have the compassion? And this is what Jesus said. Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man. Again, you're not supposed to touch these people. And if you touch them, you're unclean. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the man was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And then verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum... Oh, no, you were right. I was wrong. Uh, Back to verse 4. And so again, notice, Jesus had the power, was unquestionable. Did he have the compassion? And he did. He did the work that people had clamored for him to do. And he reached out to the lowest of the low, the people who the powerful tend not to bother with. Because again, you don't become powerful by associating with people who have nothing to give you in return. You associate with the fellow powerful because that's how you maintain influence and sway. This is the kind of person that a powerful person would normally ignore. But Jesus had compassion. He was willing. And now, let's go to story number two. This is right along in the same 
passage, and so now he has entered Capernaum. This, the leper approached him outside the city, because remember, he wasn't supposed to be in the city. But now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now again, to clarify a term, a centurion was a military as well as a civil position. This is someone who has command of at least 100 soldiers. This is the kind of person that would have a lot of sway in local government, uh, would have, uh, be able to tell orders to anyone. Anyone um, that wasn't a Roman would have to do anything this guy said. Uh, this is a person of civic Roman authority, power, influence, and sway. But he himself comes to Jesus asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Now again, this is a person who's powerful, who's used to having things that he can, with a snap of fingers or with a reach out to his network, uh, he can fix things. This is something that's beyond him. He's not a doctor. He cannot help someone who's paralyzed and suffering. Even someone who's earthly powerful has no power over this. And so what does he do? He comes to the Lord. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal your servant? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now again, notice the dynamics at play. The centurion understands power. He gets how it works. When you have power, You say jump, they say how high. When you have power, you don't even have to think about what you want to do. People will do it. But the question is, how will you use that power? The centurion himself, unlike many of the Romans at that time who were not known for their compassion, cared enough about his servant to even come and make this request of Jesus. But so now what does Jesus think when it's someone who's already successful, someone who's already powerful? How does he respond when this person asks for help? Well, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Power recognizes power. But in this moment, I think what was meaningful was that a compassionate centurion recognized that there was something different about Jesus. There was something about him that was beyond the power and the miracles and the things that were making his name spread, but that there was something else. And again, the centurion was partnering with and tapping into this supernatural, unquestionable power of Jesus. But now let's find out what happens when it comes a little closer to home. So now, after all of these conversations and interruptions, Jesus finally comes where he was going, which was to Peter's house. And again, Peter's one of his disciples, one of his closest friends who followed him, walked in his footsteps, uh, accompanied him everywhere they went on their journey for years. When, where Jesus walked, Peter walked. When Jesus ate, Peter ate. When Jesus didn't eat, Peter didn't eat. Uh, but he came to Peter's house and he saw that Peter's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and immediately began to wait on him and the other disciples. See, now even when it gets personal, Jesus is not done. His compassion isn't tapped out. And that, I think, is one of the biggest breaks for me as I look at this story is I try to be a compassionate person myself, but I also know that I have limited resources. As I talked about earlier, that there are things in life where I can either choose to be compassionate or maybe I can choose to do things that uh, actually uphold my own family's uh, sustainability and influence and wealth uh, ourselves. 
And I get to the point where when I make a choice to be compassionate, it's because I'm trying to help someone out, but I get to the point where I'm, I'm at my limit. I've, I've kind of done my thing. I've spent as much time as I can on your problem. And yet what we see here is Jesus is nothing but interrupted. Everywhere he goes, he's being interrupted, interrupted. And now one more thing, not only that, it's a mother-in-law and I mean, there's temptation to just let that not even happen. But instead he reaches out, he touches her hand and the fever leaves her. His compassion is as limitless as his power. You see, everyone knew at the beginning that Jesus' power was something new and different. But what he showed in these three uh, interactions with people is that not only his power was unlimited, but his compassion was unlimited as well. He, he didn't get to a point where he said, enough already. Can people just leave me alone and wait till tomorrow? In fact, this isn't the end of the story. Let's see the end. And so then that evening when it, when it came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and Jesus drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Matthew 8. Not only was he constantly being interrupted, but even then when, when the crowds flooded the house, his compassion knew no limits. This is the first time that we've seen just so clearly someone that has all the power in the world and someone who also has a matching compassion. You see, because when we need help, we have to have both. You need someone who actually cares enough about you that they want to be a person who can help you, but they also have to have the power to do something about it or else their sympathy and compassion is somewhat useless to you. And when we see Jesus, we see this perfect mix of ultimate power and deepest compassion. And I think it's so important to see here in the story today, but also to reflect for ourselves, because I got to be real with you. I have other things I could be doing with a Sunday morning. I'm not here for my health or or because uh, my life doesn't have enough things that I'm juggling or, or scheduling. I'm here because I need the help that only Jesus can bring. Only the person who has true power, true compassion, I need that help. And that's why I'm here. And and I need to pause here for a moment because I know that that probably went over your heads. Um, Because uh, I see this with my wife and I see as a pastor, see my wife struggles to receive compliments from me. You know, I'll tell her that she's beautiful. And she'll say, ah, you have to say that. You're married to me. I, you know, of course you think I'm beautiful. That's just, you know, love lies. You know, like that's fine. And then I have to remind my wife, I'm shallow. You have cause and effect reversed. I married you because you were beautiful. Don't kid yourself. There wouldn't have been a first date if I didn't think you were attractive. And in the same way, I need you to take a moment and just get out of your own cause and effect and don't think, oh, he has to say that he needs to be here because he's a pastor. That's what they do. They're holier than everyone else. Again, cause and effect is reversed. It's because I need help that comes from only one place that I became a pastor. It was the need for Jesus that brought me here. This isn't something that came naturally to me or that I'm here because it was a good gig. It was because I needed help that only Jesus can provide. So hear me this morning when I say, this is why I'm here week in and week out. It's not because it's a job. It's because there's something I can get only from Jesus. Because I'm lost and confused myself in life, I gotta tell you. And I don't think I'm alone in that because one of the ways I went about addressing some of that confusion is when I reached adulthood, I started reading professional development books, uh, self-help kinds of things. Uh, I started with uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of that or even read it yourselves. And that was a good book. A lot of good stuff in it. Highly recommend it. But then I read my second 
uh, professional development book. And it had some good stuff too, but there was a lot of repeats from the first one. And then I read the third one, and again, it was saying a lot of the same things as the other ones were saying. And the more I read, the more I noticed all these people are just saying the same things as each other. And yet, development self-help books are one of the largest selling categories in books in our country which tells me there are a lot of lost and confused people like me because we keep buying the same books and they keep saying the same things and yet clearly our problems are not being solved. Clearly the help that we're looking for is not in the pages of these books, however good they might be. Or in the same way, there are things in this world that are so far outside of my control. Even if I did read a development book and, and, and got my life in order, there are things that I have no control over. I had someone uh, tell me last year as we were kind of ramping up into election season, and I had someone tell me that if, if a particular party was elected, uh, that I should just give up hope and, and tell my kids to not have kids. I shouldn't even have grandkids because this whole world is just going to go to pot. And, and no matter which party that person was alluding to, I, I got to tell you, if, if my hope is in either of the two parties getting elected, we're all in big trouble, right? Our ultimate help can't come from the political system. The government, uh, while it's an institution that God ordained to provide for citizens, ultimately that cannot be our true help. We're going to fall short. Or I look even in the things that have been given to me in my life where I'm out of my depth, where I'm just struggling to keep my head afloat. And and the number one, there's job struggles, there's all these things, but the number one for me is, is when I started having kids. I don't know where, those of you that are parents, if you have a similar struggle, but when you first hold that baby in your arms, you realize, I'm in huge trouble. And from the day my oldest daughter was born, I've been reading every parenting book that I could find. If it was written by a doctor about kids, I read it. Dr. Spock, Dr. Dobson, Dr. Seuss, I read it. In fact, I was reading a parenting book just this week, uh, and it's a really good one. Again, I recommend it. It's called Sticky Faith by Drs. Powell and Clark, because, uh, again, you got to trust the doctors. And uh, Sticky Faith was a very helpful book that talked about all of these principles that you can do with your children to make sure that they know and understand and keep the faith and, and don't stray. And then I got to the last chapter, and in the last chapter said, we should warn you, you could do everything that we just said in this book right, and there's no guarantee that your kids won't still have a rough life, leave the faith struggle. And while on the one hand I appreciate their honesty, I wish they would have told me that in the opening chapter. (laughs) But truly, I think that that was an important thing for them to say, not because it undermined their own message, but because there's a truth that you as a parent can do everything right. You can take them to church, you can do devotions, you can pray, you can have faith discussions, you can do all of the right things, and at the end of the day, your child's life is out of your control. It's ultimately going to be up to them, up to their relationship with God. I need help that's beyond a parenting book. And it's not just my kids. When I look inside of myself, and again, don't, don't think because someone's up here that they've got their act together and that they're holy and that they're perfect uh, compared to you. There are things in my life that I am so, still just so sickened and frustrated about that I've been working on them so long And I still have these struggles, things that I cannot forgive myself for, shames that I am carrying from decades past that I cannot let go. 
And no matter how much I try to pull myself up by my bootstraps, no matter how much I try to become a better person, again, even my own efforts will ultimately fall short. There is only one place I can go that's gonna give me help. Because to get through this life, to get through all of the struggles I face and that I hope you relate and know because I'm sure you face them as well, I don't need another pep talk. I don't need an explanation. I don't even need a moral framework for my life. I need power. Someone who actually has the ability to make a difference in my life and the lives of those around me. I need compassion. Someone who won't just come at me with judgment and scorn for my own failings, weaknesses, inabilities to live up to the expectations, but who will actually love me in spite of my failings. I need Jesus. And as I think about the story that we read this morning, and not only its historical significance for 2,000 years ago, but what it means for us right here, right now, today. Jesus was proving in this moment a truth and a pattern that he wanted us to see because he wanted us to embrace him right here in 2017, which is this. Every civilization society has created some sort of a God a belief system, an ethos. And every one of those, what I believe to be man-made creations, had no problem coming up with gods who were powerful, whether it was the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Norwegians, uh, when you're talking Zeus, Ra, Thor, they all had no problem coming up with gods who were powerful. That's frankly intuitive and obvious. If you're struggling in life, you want someone to be powerful. And yet none of those systems could even dream of a God who is not only powerful, but compassionate. And again, why? Because they match what they see in society around them. And what we see is that those two things don't go together. And if what we see means they don't go together, then what we imagine in our minds must not go together either. And yet I believe there is one true God, not made up by human beings, one that actually revealed himself to us, who is a God of power because he created everything, but then also showed us that he was a God of compassion because he came down to earth. He lived a life of power and compassion. And not only that, he saw the deepest need that we had and he used his power to bridge that as well. See, he didn't just see suffering, he saw death and despair. And when he came to the cross, and we saw it even referenced in Matthew 8, I don't know if you caught it right at the end there where it said to fulfill the prophets, that he bore our iniquities, he took our suffering In his ultimate power, Jesus didn't stay aloof and above watching us feel pain. In his compassion, he came down. He took our pain on him. He conquered death, rose again. And now he offers that love and compassion and that power to us right now, this very day. It wasn't just something from 2,000 years ago. Right now in this moment, every one of you who if you've come on a similar journey as I have and faced the same struggles that I have and you've had that moment where you realize there's nothing this world can offer me that will actually, truly, and permanently help. There are lots of explanations, there are lots of theories, there are lots of suggestions, but at the end of the day, every one of them falls short except for one thing, that there is a God who is so powerful he could make everything and yet so compassionate that he gave up his power and might for the sake of coming down for you. And whatever you're struggling with in this season, whether it's just cancer, whether it's loneliness and despair, 
whether it's struggles with jobs and finances, whether it's personal relationships, friends, family, people that you trust and love, but that are alienated from you right now, there is nothing that is beyond his power. And not only that, there is nothing that is beyond his compassion because unlike earthly ministries that have finite and limited resources, Jesus has every resource at his disposal and he's willing to use them all for you. And so I'd ask you this morning to consider if you've tried other things, if you've looked for help in other places, to consider this time asking for help from the one person, the one true place that we can actually get it. As you reflect on that, I want you to think about one more thing. I I started the message this morning by talking about the 10 most powerful people. And I mentioned there were one, one and a half exceptions to the power compassion rule. And the one exception uh, was hopefully, obviously, Pope Francis, uh, a man who has lived a life in service of our Lord Jesus Christ, a man who has experienced firsthand the real help that can only come from our God. And he's the one who breaks the trend of power and compassion not melding, not melding. And then the other one that's an interesting point, believe it or not, was Bill Gates, who lived a very normal worldly uh, paradigm, which is he accumulated all of his wealth and power uh, by, sim- by founding a tech company, by being ruthless, by doing all the things that he needed to do. But what's interesting is what happened to Bill Gates after he retired. After he stopped spending his time accruing all that wealth, power, and influence, Uh, Due to the influence of his wife and children and their lifelong faith, uh, his children grew up uh, going to Catholic schools. His wife has been a lifelong Catholic. And when he saw the values that his wife and his children had, that changed the way he decided to spend his wealth and power. And so what we see is there is a way to break this earthly paradigm where there's a tension and a dichotomy between power and compassion. And the way to break it is to receive the help that only comes from God and knowing what you've received to then be an agent of that help to the world around you. We see that example with Pope Francis, with Bill Gates. And we see that example, I hope you see it, with the way that people here in this community, people who have seen firsthand the help that only Jesus can provide, have poured out into the community around them. We sent 42 people to Belize. We have a partnership with Brian Hill Elementary, and we continue to pour not just financial and physical resources, but relationship, love, and connection to those people in North St. Louis. We found ways, find ways constantly, and I myself have been a recipient of it. As you know, I'm new here. Uh, And the reason I wanted to be here and the reason I was so thrilled to get the call here was because I saw a community that was already so clearly living out the real help that comes from Christ. I saw people who had already experienced what Jesus can do for them and they were doing it for others. And that's part of the difference I wanna make in the world is one who has received more help that could be understood in a lifetime from God. One who has seen Christ manifest himself so clearly in my life and the lives of those around me. This is where I put my hope and trust. This is what I look for ultimate power, deepest compassion in one person, Jesus Christ, who took everything he had and then gave everything he had for me and for you. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are God 
and you can do and will do whatever you want to do. But Lord, I just give you thanks right now this morning that in your ultimate and infinite power and wisdom, you chose to also have ultimate and unlimited compassion. That you came down and while you were on earth, you walked through the crowds, you went through the land, showing your mercy to everyone you came into contact with and that you still to this day continue to pour out your power and love on all the billions of people in this world. And Lord, right now, for all those who are gathered here with us this morning, for those who are worshiping with us online, for all those who are giving praise and worship to your name, I ask that you would be their God of help, that you would come into them in the midst of their sufferings, their struggles, the obstacles that they're trying to overcome, and that you would be the power they need and the compassion that they need to get through it. Lord, thank you for the example that you have set and help us to live out that help. Those who have received it most fully, that we would give it most fully to those around us as well. Lord, we give thanks and praise to your name. Amen.